Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of almost 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm coach. I run Strength Guild, and I compete in, oh, Highland Games, powerlifting, and about anything else I can get my hands into. So, Is your main focus still powerlifting, would you say? Yeah, it is now, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely... I mean, there's been thoughts, and they've been asking me to step back onto the Highland Games field, several people. But uh, I don't know. I got back from this hip replacement, and things are feeling good. So uh, mm-hmm. it's like I'm going to follow this train train as long as I can type of thing. And one of the things that tor- turned me – it was a talk with Dan John uh, that turned me away from doing Highland Games. Mm-hmm. As I was talking to him, and we were talking about doing Highland Games and doing powerlifting. And this is when I was pulling like 770. And he just said, Phil, he said, there's there's a lot of okay Highland Games throwers. There's a handful of people that ever pulled 800 without a belt. He's like, you should probably do that first <laughs> instead yeah, of splitting right. time. Yep. And uh, it was, I knew this, but it was, you know, I needed somebody to say it type of thing. You know, if you're going to be good at one thing, you got to concentrate on one thing type of thing. Yeah, specificity. So, uh, and getting back into this with my squat feeling the way it is and things like that, uh, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I can do here. You know, there's that, honestly, go ahead. There's that famous quote. I, I can't remember who said it about like rule to success. It was I thought it was funny. It was the opposite of the way it's usually said. And they said rules to success. You know that thing that you're not good at. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. say not, not that you're not good at Highland Games, but you're better at powerlifting. You know. Yeah. Well, and even in business, that's true. I mean, you pay. You got to find what you're bad at and pay somebody else to do that. <laughs> yeah, know? I like it. There's a reason I pay an accountant. that's right that's right (laughs) but uh no and i mean even now i joke but uh like i've backed off a lot of my um what would you call it Uh, my conditioning type stuff so i mean i am probably close to the worst in shape i've ever been okay that's you know in shape using broad cardiovascular right um yeah but like my squat's the best it's ever been, and things like that. I feel really strong, so uh, it's a, it's a, it's something I'm willing to give up right now. To you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to squat like 750 for the first time in my life on a on a fake hip, and it's like I know I know some things I have to give. I'm probably also carrying more body fat than I ever have, and but my squat feels really good like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I um, I was actually going to ask you because to me. It would have been satisfying, at least on some level, just to set records with the fake hip. Mm-hmm. But you're actually going to go for numbers bigger than with your real hip, right? Yeah. Wow. So far, so far with my squat, yes. So the best I ever squatted was 650 uh, with my real hip. And I've hit that really easy mm-hmm. uh, with my fake hip. So Okay, yeah, wow. I tweaked my knee right before the Arnold, like the day before. And I think partially tore my ACL, which was not a good thing. Oh, damn. But uh, I've been resting it for 
two weeks, and it feels pretty good now. So I've squatted since. I squatted 650 the week or 605 the week after the Arnold just to test it out. Um, being in like the squat feels fine. Like standing in one spot, going up and down, it's some of the walking and twisting motions and things is the only thing that hurts it. You know, I'm almost sure that Dorian Yates once told Rob and I that he would take large amounts of vitamin C for like soft tissue repair and stuff. Uh, I know you're not a huge supplement guy, but you know, you could pound stuff like red bell peppers and strawberries and citrus and stuff. You know, get the vitamin C to help re, you know, rebuild some of that soft tissue and the tendons and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're getting ready to fly out to California. I'm going to go visit Mark Bell, and if things go well, if things are feeling good, my plan is one of the days we're training out there to go for 700 while I'm there. So, wow, yeah, nice. Because uh, I want to squat 750 in April at this meet. So you, uh, uh, we'll, you, when you started Iron Radio, your deadlift was by and away your big focus. And I think oh, what's changed, yeah. what's changed so much over the last almost 10 years of doing this is. Your squat is, has really come into its own, I would argue, on par with your deadlift. Yeah. Well, right now, it's right there with it. Like, I'm probably, I don't know, I pulled 705 at record breakers. And, man, I'm probably good for a little more than that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 725 or so. But, yeah, my, my squat's right up there with it. And uh, it all it all hinges on the hip replacement. I'm not in pain. <laughs> right, yeah. What it is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. It was hard. it's hard to be strong when you're in pain. You can only push so hard against massive amounts of pain so yep uh, now it doesn't hurt at all and i've had to change my training a lot like i literally don't do anything a triples a lot i mean i'm mainly spending time at uh singles and doubles and oh. just lots and lots and lots okay of that. so i get the volume in i get the volume in. it's just over many sets of one <laughs> you know? right so uh but yeah it's yeah. amazing to me what pain will do when i blew my left knee running almost two years ago now I crawled to the bathroom. I mean, because whatever was going on in there, like you might think, oh, well, suck it up. It just hurts. No, at some point, there's like neural inhibition. You know, yes. you can't just yeah. push through it, it'll stop the contraction. Yep. And I'm like, my God, yep. I can't make myself walk. Like, I can't yep. just grip my teeth and walk to the bathroom in pain because whatever yep. was happening there with the inflammation, I, I literally I couldn't walk for about two weeks. Yeah. And that's what would happen to me on heavy squats with my hip. I'd hit a certain spot in the bottom that pain just hit and like the weight didn't feel heavy. I just couldn't move. It's just, I can't push against this. You guys are going to have to take it. I can sit there yep. forever yep. with it, you know, yep. and let them help me. But, uh, just not happen. That's just how it was. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't push. Right. You know? So, okay. Well, I'll tell you, let's get to the, uh, the program here. Everyone, uh, there's not much of a program today except gym talk. And sometimes we get listeners send in some stuff and be like, I like gym talk episodes. Just do that. You know, do some news and some questions and talk about what's happened in the gym. So that's what we're doing. Um, let me start with a little bit of news. Some of this is mainstream. Uh, most of my stuff is more nutrition related is just because that's what comes across my desk, so to speak. But Strength and muscle sport news. Um, I actually got this from a colleague I did not know, again, this is Gen Pop stuff, but it's it's supplement-related. I did not know that Gwyneth Paltrow was some sort of big health and nutrition guru now. I had no idea. Um, I can't say I dislike her or anything, but what? You know, like, what? what makes Hollywood people, you know, they take their fame and then they they presume that they know stuff. I, I don't know. 
Uh, now, don't get me wrong. For all I know, she's been going to night school and she's got a graduate degree in something or a coaching certificate, but I, I doubt it. Anyway, this is from Anika Reed from USA Today, like literally just days old from the lifestyle section. A month of goop vitamins. I'm not kidding. That's what they call them. Goop. G-O-O-P. Was a little hard to swallow. So this is about the experience of this Anika and what she tried to do. So she says, uh, after 30 days and countless bottles of water, I survived taking goop vitamins. Uh, apparently the founder is equal parts health and wellness guru as well as actress these days. So she started 2018 essentially trying out these supplement uh, regimens. And a lot of listeners, you might be familiar, but oftentimes these things are not sold in a single bottle, but in a, a pack, like a little packet of various doodads. So there was like a, a phytochemical blend. There was an omega-3 blend and that sort of stuff. Apparently they have an adaptogen one. And that's a word that always raises an eyebrow for me because I could tell you for decades of reading stuff about quote unquote adaptogen like herbs and whatnot like sometimes old eastern block data suggested this the idea with those is that you're basically supposed to it'll help you adapt to different stressors but it always sounded very pseudoscientific to me i don't know there's a little bit of real literature on this stuff but uh there's a licorice tablet in here claims to improve energy etc designed for women apparently um so it says these supplements, let's see, both cost $90 for a 30-day supply. So apparently Anika tried at least two of these packets. And it just talks about her experience. Since the pills were huge, they smelled funny. There were six, six pills in each packet. Um, now, this is where I, I thought this might be worth in, uh, mentioning. She says um, she was surprised at the effects on her life. Uh, she's been trying to cook rather than eat out. She's been working out a few times a week, whereas maybe not so much before. And she was avoiding like the weekly donut at the office and things like that. So this is something that I, I'm almost certain Chris Shugart over at, at TMAG has talked about. That if to me it's one ironically one of the maybe one of the best things about certain dietary supplements is they give you a focus, like a seed to build around a healthy lifestyle. You know, you're taking the product, so now you're changing your behaviors. And honestly, it's the other behaviors that probably help the most. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, not to say that the nutrients couldn't help a little, she would down a 16-ounce bottle of water for her pill breaks. And again, that's probably something she didn't do before. She's swallowing the pills with it, of course. Uh, she says she she felt like she didn't need to drink as much coffee or tea because she was drinking water. I think what she probably did was she just got less physically dependent on caffeine. Um, let's see. Conclusions, uh, as much as I wanted to like these supplements, they're not something I would continue to take and to pay for. Uh, they may make sense in the Goop dynasty, but they don't fit into my life, is what she says. So for 90 dollars a month, I can see why. So anyway, some lessons to take away from this, I guess, is beware celebrity endorsements. I mean, to us, that's obvious, but to a lot of people... They, they almost feel like you, it's better than just a testimonial from some housewife or, or dad that you don't know. It's someone who you feel like you kind of know, you know, or even trust. And that doesn't mean that they know what's going on. So I hadn't heard that she was some kind of guru. But anyway, it, it's amazing to me that this stuff just doesn't go away. There's always the next crop of naive noobs, you know, to, mm. to shell out 90 or $180 a month for a little mega packs. Yeah, as far as I know, she's part of the whole Tracy Anderson crowd tribe. Mm. Uh, don't pick up more than five pounds if you're a woman. Stuff like that. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not not good. All right, what else do we have here? This is something I just thought was interesting for everybody. This is from, I, I believe it was February's Food Technology Magazine. It's sort of a, a quasi-scientific journal slash magazine. I really quite like it. If, if you're interested in food science and what's coming down the pike, both gen pop and sports nutrition stuff, uh, the Food Technology publication from the Institute of Food Technologists, it's really quite good. It's colorful. It's not as dry. And, Phil, you know what? <laughs> Peer-reviewed mm-hmm. you know, journals, they're just incredibly dry, black-and-white yeah. experiences, and this is, this is really quite neat. But it says, research has shown that coffee drank in a wide mug or lattes drank in artful round mugs are um, rated sweeter than coffees in a narrow mug or a squarish angular mug, uh, according to consumers. That's like food psychology, right? I mean, wow. It's like going up to a buffet. You eat more when you see a buffet just because you know it's there. But I would have never thought that wider, rounder mugs makes it, like to you, you actually think it's sweeter. So I'm trying to think of all the applications to our listeners. I mean, like if you're a coffee drinker, if you've got a sweet tooth in your dieting, I don't know. Have your coffee in a rounder mug, rounder, more shallow mug. That's interesting that you could trick your mind into thinking that's it's sweeter that way. Anyway, I, I just like the coffee research, of course. So there's that. And then um, this last one. This is uh, from, let's see, Rutgers University released uh, some new data on which fiber, like how fiber works. And I think this is interesting. Uh, I, I got this at, uh, originally, uh, let's see, from uh, a journalism bit from Carmen Leach, L-E-I-T-C-H, Leach. Anyway, this is literally days old. Gut microbes fed by high fiber diet can relieve type 2 diabetes. Now, if you listeners, if you're thinking, oh, I'm not diabetic, listen, one out of three Americans have are actually pre-diabetes, right? They're they're insulin resistant. Their cardiovascular fitness is a highest. I mean, Phil, you were just even talking about that because you're specialized mm-hmm. so much. So I see some applications here. It's basically the mechanism by which fiber is so important. It says a diet high in fiber may provide relief for people suffering from type 2 diabetes, uh, promoting the growth of certain kinds of gut bacteria, improved blood glucose control in people with the disease. It also led to weight loss and improved blood lipid levels. According to researchers at Rutgers, let's see what else we have here. Our study lays the foundation and opens the possibility that fibers targeting a specific group of gut bacteria could eventually become a major part of treatment for blood sugar disorders. Um, Part of that quote was from Lai Ping Zhao, professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Microbiology at Rutgers. Um, Here's sort of the idea. Short chain fatty acids are produced when carbohydrates get broken down by gut bacteria. Uh, Those fatty acids can help control appetite, reduce inflammation, and nourish cells of the gut. So if you think fiber is just about keeping you regular, uh, no, it's not. It might actually help with your carb metabolism. Again, if you're not doing lots of cardio or lots of volume, yeah, I mean, I've actually seen weightlifters in the lab in my own research have some pretty lousy, you know, fasting blood glucose levels or even... um, like if we do an oral glucose tolerance test, they just their blood sugar shoots way up. I mean, they're sore. You know, their carb metabolism isn't where they want it to be. So fiber might be a way to help address this. Now, this isn't diabetics, of course, but it says patients in China were given a drug. This is a very long-term study. They were given a drug 
to control blood glucose as well as some patient information. But one group also received, uh, you know, education on increased dietary fiber intake. So they were eating more whole grains, prebiotics, and traditional Chinese foods that were rich in fiber. After 12 weeks, the group given a lot of fiber showed improvement, not just in blood glucose levels, but also they lost more weight. So sort of interesting. It says the research team found that of 141 strains of bacteria that produce short-chain fatty acids in your gut, only 15 are driven to multiply by increasing your fiber consumption, leading researchers to conclude that they are the most relevant to health improvements. They also became dominant in the guts of study participants uh, with a resulting increase in these short-chain fatty acids, right? Butyrate and acetate are the ones that get a lot of attention. Uh, short-chain fatty acids. A mildly acidic environment was created in the intestines, again, large intestines, right, the bowel, uh, by those uh, acids, lowering levels of detrimental bacteria as well as increasing the production of insulin. So ironically, you might actually get better insulin function uh, if you're eating uh, a high-fiber diet. So what I did was I went and I looked, I dug around on Rutgers' website. Sure enough, uh, by Todd Bates, it says, promotion of a select group of gut bacteria by a diet high in diverse fibers, so various fibers, led to better blood glucose control, greater weight loss, and better blood lipid levels in people type 2 diabetes, according to research published in the journal Science. And listeners, if you're not familiar, Science is, that's one of the big boys, like real top-tier journals. The study was underway for six years and provides evidence that eating more of the right dietary fibers may rebalance gut bacteria, the whole ecosystem of your gut bacteria. Um, so the general idea is they're suggesting that they may be able to move toward fibers that target these 15 bacteria. Um, and right now, I don't know, they're, they're focusing on something more varied perhaps, but um, uh, it's enough to... You know, remind me to get some fiber in me now and again if I'm eating a lot of, you know, meat and potatoes kinds of things, calorie-rich kinds of things, and keep the vegetable fibrous veg intake high, you know, at least some whole grains, you know, stuff like that. So mechanisms by which fiber might help with insulin production and glucose handling and everything else. And if you're an athlete, you should be interested in glucose handling, you know, carb handling on some level. Uh, I mean, let's face it, that's how a lot of people get lean. They pull carbs out of their diets or when they want to bulk, they add carbs to their diets. So keeping some fiber in the game. And the World Health Organization, by the way, suggests about 30 to 35 grams of fiber a day. That's vastly more. The average American gets about 6 to 11 by some of the surveys that I've read. And then we wonder why one out of three of us are pre-diabetic. You know, yeah. So. yeah, that's low. Uh, that's... That's about all I've got. Uh, I know we have some some questions, and we've got some Facebook stuff. Uh, any news or fallout from the Arnold? Anything you're doing? No, not really. I mean, not, not much going on. Just you know, everybody's still talking about everything that happened, but we kind of covered that. So, right. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. And, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're just going to field some questions from Facebook and uh, various sources that might be instructive. So we'll be back. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you 
uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> All right, everybody, we are back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're just fielding some questions from around the web and from, uh, you know, clients and colleagues and all sources here. The first one I want to address is from John. Uh, he was asking me this week, how low is too low when it comes to pulling out carbs uh, and getting your calories down when you're dieting? He's dieting for a physique competition, and um, we were chatting about this. Uh, and he was saying, for example, you know, is 50 grams a day too low for carbs? And I'm thinking, well, in my opinion, yes. I mean, that's as a rule of thumb in dietetics, you don't really want to go below about 12 to 1300 calories per day, rock bottom. And for a grown ass man, that's ridiculously low. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, the, the point being is uh, if you if you set your ceiling that low, you can't get all of the micronutrition that you need. For example, you're like, oh, I, I didn't get any um, vitamin C today. I'm, I didn't get anywhere near my RDA for vitamin C. I'll reach for an orange. Well, no, you can't because you're at your limit, you know, yeah. in like one and a half meals. <laughs> so that's the problem with setting it too low. Now, you might say, well, I'll just pop a vitamin. Well, okay, but if you pull carbs out that dramatically, um, 
carbohydrates are well known to be protein sparing. I've even seen guys who I can promise you are, are not natural. And if they, one of them was working with this diet guru once, and I remember this guy, he was about 270, in pretty good shape in the off season. I mean, huge, huge bodybuilder, pulled his carbs out. And I've talked about this years past, because I've known more than one person do this, almost entirely pull carbs out on day one of like a 20-week diet, 16-week diet. And I watched him, despite the fact that he was almost certainly not natural, just melt. I mean, he lost a lot of fat, and he lost an enormous amount of muscle mass. No one wants to walk around, you know, say like 15% fat at 270 in the off season, mm -hmm. just being an enormous, you know, a large mammal, uh, and then compete as like a middleweight, you know, at like mm -hmm. 170 pounds. That's just stupid, in my opinion. So one of the things that I would suggest is, I've always said one of the things when you talk to guys backstage is they pull 50 grams um, per day worth of carbohydrates out of their diet. So, for example, if you start at 400 grams a day for after two or three weeks, then you drop it to 350 a day. And after a few more weeks, you drop it to 300 a day and then 250 per day. You get the idea. So every couple of weeks, you're cutting 50 grams per day out. But part of that is dependent on the fact that you are, in fact, eating four or 500 grams a day, you know, again, like a grown-ass man. And some people don't so that 50 grams is is relevant to where your baseline is right if you're only eating 200 grams a day you're not going to have anywhere to progress there's no progression model if you're pulling 50 grams out every two weeks right so the idea is probably smarter to do it sort of as a percentage you know so maybe you're pulling between 10 and 25 percent of your previous carb intake out uh, that would be one way to do it because Phil and I have said this before for ages, but if your protein intake is fairly constant at around a gram per pound and your fat intake is pretty constant, I mean, yes, you pull some fat out uh, when you're you're dieting, but carbs are what you change the most. Mm -hmm. So um, I was suggesting to him, no, you need to, it, it, your choices are either A, don't don't drop that low. Your current plan goes way too low. Even for, you know, like a, a smaller, like, you know, 170-pound-ish guy. Because, uh, again, we're talking about more physique competitor, not so much bodybuilder. Uh, but the other one would be, if you want to go that low, then do it a cyclical refeed. Like on weekends, if you're down to 100 grams a day of carbohydrates during the week, um, double it on a Saturday and or a Sunday. And then refill your glycogen stores so your muscles don't become catabolic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The way I've had luck with is uh, if we do pull it out to almost nothing, it's for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, two weeks, and then now you go back up. Uh, it kind of gives you this reset, and then. But I mean, even when I got down, this diet I did, well, it's been a year ago now, is when it ended. I never went below like thirty three hundred calories. Uh, wow! Yeah, and I was hungry. I was hungry at 3,300 yeah. calories. Right. But, you know, we went down slow. I mean, that's where most people mess up. So, okay, it's diet time, going down to 2,000 calories. And they were at 8,000 before. And, yeah, they lose weight real fast at the beginning. But it's like, that. Now, okay, now where are you going to go yep. once your body gets used to that? It slows down, right? Your metabolism yeah. just slows to a crawl within a, a short <laughs> period of time, like thyroid function changes. And yeah. you got nowhere to progress. And, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's coming down nice and slow and. But. That's always been one of the things that was ironic to me, and I know we've talked about this before, but, I mean, what haven't we talked about before on Iron yeah. Radio? But 
is that people naturally use progression models with strength, inching up, up, up with weight on the bar or whatever, or weight gain. But when it comes to fat loss, they try to do it in one step. I mean, yeah. I was talking to students the other day. I'm like, let me show you how asinine this is. Let's say, for example, all of you guys were going to say, we're going to bench 315. Go. Well, no, yeah. you can't. You've got to work toward that. That's going to take a, quite a while for you to work toward that, right? And, but yet that's a mentality people use with fat loss is they're going to just start with their end goal of calories. Yes. They don't progress toward it. It's stupid. You know, that's not how your body works. You have to coax your body to do things. I used to have an old endocrine professor. He'd say that. You coax the body to make changes. And, of course, you know, with my Jekyll and Hyde mentality, I'm always thinking – you know, fat loss, things like that. You don't just, like you said, you'll lose a ton, but you'll lose yeah. so, uh, disproportionate <laughs> amounts of muscle and strength, and then you will be able to keep your strength up. And that's one of the things you've got to do during a 20-week diet is keep, keep the weights up as high as you can, mm -hmm. I would think. So. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, yeah, if we start talking training, I mean, that's one of the big things that I push, and I never understood why, like with bodybuilders, uh, the big thing was, okay, now we're on a diet. We're going to do all this volume and lighter weight. Um, it, it just doesn't make a sense. It, it, it makes more sense to me going the opposite route. When, when we're in a calorie surplus, tons of volume. <laughs> and when we're in a calorie, calorie deficit, you're not going to be able to, you don't have the building blocks to recover from that volume and grow from it. Yeah. So we try to keep things as heavy as we can. Of course, it's going to go down because you're dieting. Sure. But we, we stay as heavy as we possibly can to to keep as much muscle as we can. You know, if, if, if tons and tons of reps, hundreds of hundreds of reps kept kept us jacked and kept us in lots of muscle, then like we'd all just do bodyweight squats and get huge. Yeah. You know, calisthenics. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you know, box jumps and I'm going to get jacked. You know, it's, it's, it's load at some point will tell your body. I mean, if you're, if I consistently put my body under strenuous load to where my body thinks it's a normal daily action of mine, it's going to say, well, shit, I need to keep some of this. He's going to be doing this to me a lot. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's adaptation. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I was never a fan. I mean, there's different ways to expend more calories, but yeah, I wouldn't be a, a fan of doing it with lots of junk reps. I mean, use your more mostly fasted cardio if you want to do a fat specific calorie drain but you keep the weights up i mean my numbers were never powerlifting looking numbers but if i could do single rep like six to eight reps with 405 for example um when i was for a, a good part of my career then i made sure even the last time i competed i could squat 405 i would just two weeks before i i compete stepped on stage i did 405 for a double like you said you're gonna lose some there's not much you yes. can but I, I, that was my goal is, can I still squat, you know, one of my heavier sets? Yeah. Um, so anyway, okay. Uh, so there you go. I would suggest, uh, John don't drop below God. I would think as a man somewhere around 2000 calories. I mean, this is a ballpark because it's so individual, but 2000 is really low, you know, really low. Certainly 1800 would be ridiculously low. And I'm literally, I'm talking about like the last week or two in a, in a 20 week mm -hmm. diet. You know, while keeping the protein high, trying to keep the muscles full, you know, maybe occasional refeed, you know, things like that. So anyway. Um, okay. What else? There's some things from the Facebook page maybe? Yeah. I mean, there's a few studies that people have posted that they just thought was interesting. One of them that kind of goes back to what we talk about, but it's just all these studies on uh, the promotion of health and longevity through strength training. 
So for a long time there, as we know, it was all cardiovascular type stuff. Yeah. Um, and this this article does. If anybody wants it, you'd go on the Facebook listeners page. It cites like forty three articles or something like that. Wow. Um, all about this. So and um, it just does a good job going into everything from you know bone density and you know, lowers your risk of diabetes to just that uh, these studies done on just having increased muscle mass has shown to extend your life expectancy. Right, yeah. Like, what was it? There's one here. uh, In men, when they have a a greater amount of upper body and lower body strength, they're 1.59 times greater, uh, less risk of death from heart disease. Oh, wow. 1.24 times less risk of cancer. 1.46 times less risk of just any, all causes of death in general. So, I mean... It's just uh, it does a good job of showing that it looks. I mean, we're we're kind of back into this weird age of uh, athletics, is what I'd say as far as training goes. And people are more worried about getting stronger than I've seen in a long time, uh, as a general trend in fitness. Right. You know, um, it, it's neat to see that there's some science behind this as far as hey, it'll help you live longer too. Um, Absolutely. I, I definitely push this towards my ladies. Uh, the women and even aging women it's like with their bone density and osteoporosis osteopenia and stuff like that uh the benefits of it is huge <laughs> um yeah and and you can see it just in and being able to move when you get older you know a 70 year old guy that still has some strength to him he may be in pain you know maybe arthritis is setting in and stuff like that but at a point if you're strong you're still able to get around you know <laughs> But uh, here's a quote. You just made me think about this. Um, yeah, because we both know in the 90s, everything was cardio. You know, and oh, yeah. a lot of the guys that I knew who are bodybuilders and powerlifters, they would laugh about how low their VO2 max was, your, their aerobic ability. And you, you don't want that low all the time. But there's there's specialists like you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, this is from 2006, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. I just pulled it up. The mm-hmm. underappreciated role of muscle in health and disease. This is Robert Wolf. So you know, sort of the king in many ways of mm-hmm. isotopes and protein synthesis and all that. I mean, sometimes he's at odds with Stu Phillips and Nick Bird and some of the guys that we we know. But um, it says muscle plays a central role in whole body protein metabolism by serving as the principal reservoir of amino acids. And, of course, for other organs to use some of those aminos, et cetera. We don't store protein the way we store glycogen, you know, carbs or fats. So muscle mass is... It's like a gas tank for amino acids, but it's a gas tank that's also the engine, right? Also moving. Yeah. It says altered muscle metabolism plays a key role in the genesis and therefore the prevention of many common pathologic conditions and chronic diseases. Nonetheless, the maintenance of adequate muscle mass, strength, and metabolic function has rarely, if ever, been targeted. Again, when it comes to chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff that Robert Wolf is doing, along with, with Stu and Nick, um, I think it's going to lead to higher RDAs for protein because for the longest time we both know that 0.8 grams per kg RDA for protein, it's so low. I mean, for Christ's sake, we eat that in like a meal. And so mm-hmm. these guys I think are going to at least tr- their research may eventually push it toward maybe 1.0 or 1.2 grams per kg of body weight, you know, a little bit higher bumping up that protein requirement. Um, 
So I like what he was saying there, and it's really what mm-hmm. you were just saying, which is we don't target oftentimes, at least historically, muscle mass pro- and you know the protein intake and strength training um, as ways to prevent cr- the chronic diseases of aging. You know, and I yeah. think that's where we're going to get the word out. It's not going to be for some niche group like bodybuilders or powerlifters. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, hey, muscle is really important. If, if yeah. weakness is the number one reason to be put into a nursing home, you know, long-term yeah. care, then what are we doing? You know, why? Well, I mean, and let's face it. If you live long enough, the chances of you fighting a debilitating illness is pretty high. Yeah. And if you come into that illness weak, you're in trouble. that's right yep uh because you're you know if you come into that strong there's a much greater chance of you getting out you know i've I've dealt with several people going through cancer and and one of the reasons the doctor said they made it was you were strong enough (laughs) literally that i mean muscularly strong enough to make it the reserves yep so yeah makes Um, sense no there's another interesting study at a a sydney university here and they're using um strength training with cognitive function people with precursors of alzheimer's disease and they broke it into two groups and one of them just did cognitive training one of them did one group did uh weightlifting activities and the researchers discovered that the weight training significantly improved the participants cognition whereas the cognitive training had no effect wow yeah i hadn't so, seen that one that's that's yeah. very interesting i have a family history my great grandmother had some serious senile dementia i mean at one point didn't know my name you know it was scary to watch now she was 89 years old i think but um that's always been my hope right in the back of my mind and i imagine you or any any of us who lift maybe this is gonna yeah keep me from fall i mean aging aging is a risk factor for almost any (laughs) chronic disease yeah you know you can't stop it it's an unmodifiable risk factor but damn it you can modify going to the gym and, and pushing around some iron yeah you can modify what you are as an older person right what what type of shape you're in so um yeah i don't know i mean that's one of my especially since having another kid at 40 it's like son of a bitch i gotta stay in shape (laughs) yeah you're gonna be 60 when he's in high school you know yeah and it's like at at some point this kid's gonna want to you know even if it's the old oh i'm gonna test dad out well i gotta stay in shape so he can test me out (laughs) right (laughs) that's right (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know things like that. So I mean, that's kind of a good thing for me. I mean, it's, it gives me uh, a reason to stay there. But I mean, other than the fact that I just love it, like like somebody posted a video yesterday. It's rare that uh, on my Instagram and stuff like that that a, a video gets posted of me. And I was lifting yesterday morning. I didn't know that somebody filmed me, and I posted one. It was like a, um, you know, it's it's just it's it's part of my life. I don't see my somebody posted like I, it's good to see you're still doing it. It was like why wouldn't I be? You know, oh, right. It's, it's literally ingrained in my life. I really enjoy it. You know, it's not a chore for me to go train. I look forward to it. Ingrained, right. I used to have yeah. an old, old professor. He passed away just um, a couple of, two years ago, I think. But he used to say it was like hygiene. The exercise mm-hmm. becomes like hygiene. You brush your teeth, you take a shower, right? It's that natural. There's no yeah. discipline really involved. No. Discipline is doing something that's, you don't really want to do. Well, yeah, yeah you just kind of do. You know, you're a lifer in that way. So, and I don't know that I still get some kind of a a rush out of it too that you got. You know, when when everybody first begins and they start moving weight, and the first time you put 135 on the bar, it's like, ooh, yeah, I did it. You know, I still get I get up for that. It's like I want to see what I can do here. I admit, um, I'm roughly 10 years older than you are, right? Yeah. And I'm not a really big person. I've I've said that all, all along on this show. 
um, so for me, that lifer thing and the health thing that we just discussed, it, it's funny how that becomes more important in many ways because I am not like if I go try to. I'm convinced I, if I started training again, I could work my way up to sets of 405, but why? Like, it, it yeah. makes my arms go numb. I obviously have some degenerated discs in my back or something, and, you know, I got, these, I got osteoarthritis and things like that, so I am not going to push numbers I used to before. I need to find other ways to PR, if, yeah. if that makes any sense, other than just weight on the oh, yeah. bar or, or taking up more space. Like, I don't want to weigh 230 anymore. I was mildly hypertensive, you know, and it, it, at, at almost 50 now. It, it would be bad, right? So I need yeah. to think of other ways to do it. But you still, because you're a lifer, you're just going to find something else to, yes. you know, to, to PR in. So yeah. No, that's what we were talking about this the other day and how I've changed as far as, like it used to be I just tried to stay 275, 280 year round. And now uh, it takes its toll on me. Like right now that I'm about 273. And I'm like, oh, I feel planetary and my sleep's messed up. <laughs> and... Uh, now I do these stints like, okay, meat's coming up, time to get big. And I just, I'm, I'm 41 now. I can't stay there all the time. I, right. Uh, so I'll go up and then after the meet, I'm, I'm already looking forward to when it's over and I can get down to like 250. It's career longevity, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that's what you're trying, or just life longevity. <laughs> yes, lifelong. I, I just know I can't live there. You know, I mean, my heart rate's up higher than it was before and, uh, and stuff like that. So I know I can hit these stints of it and. And there's less of a risk, at least, right. <laughs> yeah, for the, this this activity that I enjoy so much. Well, how many lifters do we know? I, I'm sure we can both come up with a dozen examples of guys who couldn't let go. You know, yeah. they're they're yeah. making up their third comeback at age 60, and I'm not saying that's bad to yes. to lift at that age, but they're trying. You know, they're still they can't let go. Their whole identity is wrapped around it. So they might be using stuff they shouldn't, or lifting weights they shouldn't, or at some point when you're popping Vicodin and you're getting wheeled up to the squat yeah. rack, you know that's not cool anymore. Like yeah. at some, I don't want to say grow up. That sounds terrible, but you know, find something else to challenge mm. yourself. That's the key. Don't destroy yourself. You yeah. know, uh, unnecessarily. Like I, the big question for me was, I was talking with my wife a couple of years ago, sort of after that last round of competing I did, which was literally like 2011, 2012. And I'm like, why am I, why am I actually doing this? Like, yeah. do I have to squat? For, I mean, powerlifting wasn't even my sport. You know, why yeah. am I, why am I putting that much weight on the bar when I'm actually, I'm literally hurting myself. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's like for me, I mean, I kind of retired for like two years. And the, what brought me back was my realization in that training in those two years that I could, I could go out there and do something I've never done still. Yes. You right. know, I have that ability. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go back and give it a shot. You know? yep. And I'm right there now. And so it's worth it to me. And, and that's, that's the other reason I'm pushing my squat so hard is because I didn't. I wasn't able to before. So it's like, I know I'll be able to pull seven. Uh, it's just in the cards for me. But I, my main concentration is... I want to. I want to squat more than I ever did before, and I. Th I know I can. So that that was my motivation to get. Okay, I'm going to step back out there. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to be the. Here comes Phil at 70, squatting 315. He can can't walk. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of sad, really. Yeah. At some point, I already know it's coming. That's I'm going to be. The good thing for me is I get as much or more joy from training my people. So I know I'll be able to take that role and just go 100% full-time into that. And it's like, okay, I'm going to push you guys to where? To that point. Right. <laughs> well, you guys are 20. Let's do this. You know, I'm Phil, 55. I don't know. It might have been you. Somebody told me that 
they they asked Frank Zane. It might have been a YouTube video I saw. He was at the Arnold. This was years ago, half a dozen years ago. And they say, what are your physique goals, you know, Mr. Zane? And he said, physique goals? He said, I'm 74 years old. My, my goal is to stay alive. <laughs> no, I'm sure he has some respect for himself. And I, mean, I heard he can even yeah. do a, a backflip back when he was 70. Yeah. I mean, talk about athletic, you know. Uh, but, again, it speaks to this idea of, yeah, you change your goals. A, a, a constructive person, someone who's sort of a warrior at heart or a competitor yeah, you know, I, I think like Sun Tzu and some of those lessons from the old, you know, Asian generals is don't choose battles that you haven't already won. Right. Yeah. And at some point, you're not going to win the battle of continuing to squat over 500 pounds. So yeah. maybe you do 315 for 20. That's freaking heroic. Yeah. You know, you can change your and that's change of what you do. That's like with me on on my bench now. My shoulders wrecked. It has been for I, I blew it out at, in Northern California eight years ago. And I've since then I've gotten back to 405, but the pay I had to do to get there, and the pain, it's not worth it now. So, mm-hmm. literally, I rarely train my bench, and I just don't care. You know, I don't mind going into a meet and having a crappy bench. Yeah, that's not what I'm concentrating on. I'm yeah. not, you know, as long as I can go in there and bench 315, it's like I'm good, you know. <laughs> and I know it'll be somewhere in there. Right. So, uh, it's, I'm I'm beyond the point of needing to worry about it. It's like I've proven I can do that. I'm. I'm doing what I can do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I still put up a full meet. I put up a total. And I, you know, I'm 41 and I beat a lot of kids. So there you go. Right. <laughs> you know, with competing, one of the things that I had to deal with, with bodybuilding at least, is I j- this is personal choice. I know there are guys in their 50s who compete and they look great and that sort of thing. But, you know, not being a user, you know, and with everything else going on. I don't want to step on stage. Even if you're lean, you're kind of wrinkly and a little saggy. We've mm-hmm. all been to bodybuilding shows and seen the older guys. Yeah. Cosmetically, aesthetically, I don't want to keep doing that, right? In strength, yeah. at least, you could continue to do it because nobody really cares what you look like. You know, it's performance-driven. Yeah. But yeah. at some point, I had to say, okay, I guess I'm post-competitive at this point. So now, now what? And we're all going to be asked that question. A lot of people who listen to this show, if you work in fitness, even as a professional, as a coach or a trainer, these are things that you're going to have to come, come to grips with. Like at what point do I transition slowly into the grisly coach you know, yeah. and not just be the, the athlete itself, you know, himself? Yeah. So not that you're yeah, then- giving it up, but – for sure. And I'm, I'm a big part of it for me, too, is uh, even if I don't compete, I'll stay in shape because it it, it garners you some respect out of your coach ability, coaching. Sure, sure. You know, as long as when my guys come in like yesterday morning, OK, Phil's here. Oh, wow. He just pulled 655. You know, right. <laughs> with a 10 minute warm up. Respectable okay, numbers. This. I better get working. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, uh you know, there's something to be said about that. Oh, I like but, that uh, sort of whole thing. You know, uh, the old guy, you know, walks in and quietly, you know, pulls 650 for a couple of reps. And you're like, yeah. oh, I'm in a serious gym here. Yeah. You know. So, <laughs> but, so. Okay. Um, last one we'll touch on real quick because we're running out of time. Uh, somebody posted this up. The, the title of the study is Post-Exercise Carbohydrate Energy Replacement Attenuates Insulin Sensitivity and Glucose Tolerance the Following Morning in Healthy Adults. Um with the context, they're saying, well, maybe there is some, some, uh, uh, something to all these keto diets and low carb diets right now. Um, just let you touch on that a bit. Yeah, I think metabolically there's benefits. I mean, there was a study, I, I don't have the author's name at my fingertips, in the 90s, they were suggesting that 
you, you the activation of adrenaline receptors like beta one, beta two, adrenoceptors um, after exercise that would be blunted if you if you feed carbs afterwards. And here we're saying that your carbohydrate metabolism is not quite as sensitive if you flood the carbs after a workout. To me, it's goal oriented. If you want to replenish your glycogen stores and hit the gym heavy for volume work tomorrow, eat the damn carbs, you know. Yep. But if your goal is maximum leanness, maybe you do leave the carbs out of the post-workout period or limit them, you know, like um, Joey Antonio and I from the ISSN, we've had discussions before about you. if you're bulking, you might want to do like four to one ratio of carbs to protein after you work out. Um, that's a lot. So, you know, 100 carbs with 25 protein, something like that. Uh but and again ball, just ballpark ratios but and then we were suggesting it might be better more like one to one protein to carbs you know if your goal is physique and leanness so maybe mm -hmm. 25 protein with 25 carbs that's not very many carbs mm -hmm. so to me these things are sort of obvious right your body's very sensitized from the workout you can cash in on that immediately or you could try to make it linger for a while by not flooding the body with carbs immediately after so yeah. I think that's to me to my old man wisdom. <laughs> that's yeah. that's the way I I look at that. Yeah, I think one thing that we've kind of pushed for a long time is, well, we haven't pushed that hugely the post workout carb window. It's like you got you realize you're gonna probably have at least twenty four hours before you have to train again. You know, in most cases, unless you're doing two a days or something like that, it's like you don't need seven hundred carbs in one meal. You, yeah, you get it in over time. <laughs> yeah, you know, by the next time you train 24, 48 hours later, as long as you've got some in, you're probably okay. That's right. You'll but, slowly yeah. build back. It's five to seven percent per <sighs> hour if people care. Yeah. If, you, if you go to the textbooks, five to seven percent of your glycogen gets replenished every hour. So, like you said, why would you do it all at once with 700 grams of carbs? Yeah. It's going to take a while. So, you could give yourself several meals, unless you're doing two a days and you got to yeah. get back at it today. Yes. You know, what are you doing? So, yeah. Anyway. Um, no, that was another thing that, that I've noticed, and this is just uh, in the field here. It's like we're talking about getting older. Like I, uh, there's a lot of people talking about it now. It's like as we get older, the carbohydrates kind of go down. Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> from what we can handle, and that's why I noticed it on when we were going to the Arnold. Dow, who's one of my my lifters friends, uh, he's 11 years younger than me. And looking at him eat was like, oh, yeah, I remember doing that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yep. <laughs> I can't quite get away with that anymore. Like everywhere we went, he got two two entrees and, uh, you know, things like that. And it's like, yeah, I, I can't quite go that far anymore. I mean, I still eat big compared to the average person. Oh, sure. Yeah, But right. what I could get away with then is not near what I can get away with now. Um, and that's what I was telling one of my kids at, at, at uh, the gym. Like, I call my kid. He's 22. Right. But uh, it's like. You need to get big and strong now. You're, you're never going to be in a better position in your life than right now. Build a foundation. So, yeah. yeah, it's like get it going now because you don't, you don't want to try to do it when you're 35 or 40. <laughs> right, even with the weight training and all the fitness. and I mean, I'm sure we both have much better carb metabolism than most guys oh, our, yeah. our age. And at the same time, you're right. There's no way if I eat a pound of pasta at a time you know, or half a box of cereal at a time like I used to on purpose – I would look like a beanbag chair. It would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> would well, be like bad. my eating up for meats now is I'm not the same as I was before. Everything else is the same. I'm older. <laughs> right. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm carrying more body fat than normal and this and that. I mean, I'm moving weight the same, uh, but it's just, it's, it's not, it, things have changed and I'm okay with it, but sure. 
So just different, you know. There's I, nothing yeah, I can you, do about it. Well, maybe you focus. <laughs> you bulk up with more olive oil or some healthy fats, yeah. or you know, and or or time the carbs for for refeeds. Yeah, but day in and day out, yeah, you don't, you can't just wolf down 200 grams of carbs every time you sit down to eat. Yep. You know. So. so. All right. Good stuff. I, I that was pretty yeah. good. You know, questions yeah. from around. Sometimes it's better just to engage with the the community and and talk shop. Yep. So. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.